0: Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Service Management Leadership Podcast. Today we have as a guest, someone I've known for better part of a decade. Stephen Taylor, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Oh, when I say better part of a decade, It was probably 2011, 2012, where uh, you were the engagement director, engagement manager, lead, whatever, uh, putting in Remedy at where I was working. And, uh, man,
0: that was a long time ago. That was. Yeah, I drove by the old location recently, and now it's, you know, being turned into the whole new area downtown in Oklahoma City. It's a lot of things have changed since we worked there.
1: Oh, man, a long time. So, Stephen is one of the brightest technologists I know. And I say that as a sincere compliment. I've worked with a lot of people over the years, so I wanted to have you on, Stephen. You have a breadth and wealth of experience. Let's dive in, if we may. Awesome. All right. You've been in your role as CIO at Bass Bank, Bass Bank, small, medium size, for a year or two, right? How's that gone for you?
0: Yeah, it you know probably feels like two years, but it's actually only been a year. I just came up on my year anniversary this month, so good Good timing there. Um, you know, I, I would say it's been a very uh, challenging and and very interesting role. Um, as you know from my background, you know, I've been in a lot of different uh, industries, um, you know, serving IT technology for different industries. So this is my um, first foray into banking, uh, where I actually worked at a bank as, you know, an employee there in, in a leadership capacity. So that's, there's been a lot of new learnings for me through some of those processes. I've had great support from the, from the executive team. And I think that one of the things that has been a little bit uh, of a new challenge for us is just um, the rest of the, in, you know, global world uh, has been a very interesting year anyway. Um, so it's, you've got the combination of those two things has made it to be a lot of learnings and a lot of lessons for me, but it's been a very exciting one.
1: Yeah, and I think not much has happened this year, <laughs> no, globally. <laughs> I, I say that jokingly. So yeah. how have you put your fingerprint on things? You know, everybody, you step into a leadership position, you spend a while learning and intake. how are we doing things? And then you, you kind of put your fingerprint on things. How have you done so?
0: Well, a couple of things that I feel are important for leaders, especially new leaders coming into any organization. Is to really understand what their personal strengths are and how they add value uh, to the organization and. This, the second part of that to me is, is really understanding what are some really solid basic blocking and tackling areas of your organization and remove some of the roadblocks that are, because people generally, you know, there may be pent up frustrations. And if you can remove a couple of those for people, you, you know, you can get support very quickly. And so one of the first things I did was come in and look at some of the roadblocks. And I saw that um, they didn't have, we didn't have Wi-Fi at all. And um, we also didn't have uh, some of the things I consider fairly basic uh, blocking and tackling things like we didn't have Office 365, you had to be in the office to physically work. And so some of the first things we did was implement Office 365, put in Wi-Fi, get people connected, even things like moving around inside the office, having connectivity, remediating some of the old computers and coming in and bringing in some minor upgrades. And um, those were things that had been really weighing on people, right? So you pull those things away and uh, immediately people uh, see that you've made an impact and made a difference. So I think quick short wins can go a long way to helping uh, putting your fingerprint on it. I think the second one is really understanding your value. And to me, a big part of that is engagement. I think it's really important to have your team members engaged in the process. And there's a lot of people who just generally at their jobs are, frustrated or, you know, have gone quiet and dormant, so really engaging with those people and pulling them out of their shells, um, you know, can really uh, uh, turn around a lot of the pieces in your influence. So I did that. Those were the two big things I did first, you know, as soon as I came in to put my fingerprint on things was to get people engaged and to remove a couple of roadblocks quickly.
1: And I was thinking on the engagement. IT people aren't re- aren't usually the easiest to engage. Sometimes you know, <laughs> right? Sometimes, no, it comes with trust. And, uh, and I don't mean that as a knock. I mean, you deal with a lot of different persons and personalities, but IT folk are a little different sometimes.
0: Yeah, and we have, you know, quite a few of my team members as examples that were being asked to do some things that they didn't know how to do. And I had, you know, I had the ability to do some of those things. So I actually sat down with them and showed them how to do it, and collaborated with them, and then publicly gave them praise for doing those things, right? And so that kind of gave those people a sense of ownership and a sense of pride that I think that they hadn't had in a while, and that I think that was a very positive aspect as well.
1: Affirmation goes a long way. People don't realize, but somebody just being down, being told they did a great job on something, that can yeah. last them weeks.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of knowing what your style is and what your strength and really learning how to pull that out of people can go a long way.
1: I hear you. And so the banking industry is unique. And uh, I say it's unique because we'll get into the COVID stuff later, but it's becoming more and more uh, electronic being non-retail. So the traditional banking industry, you walk in. And whether you want a loan, whether you want to make a deposit, whatever it is, you walk in and you see someone. Now we're relying on technology for our banks. Our banks are having to shift. And I get into this, uh, I'll probably get into this in the closing thoughts, but I see it as because the banking customers are changing. You know I mean? Their needs are changing. So the banks have to change. How are you handling all this? Because it's, You're walking in at a time, learning everything, and it's in motion, and how are you adjusting maybe how things have been done in the past to how things should be, or how are you handling that?
0: Well, so I think what you're talking about is the genesis of why we embarked on our digital transformation program. Uh, Digital transformation now is becoming kind of a common buzzword in the industry. It wasn't when we started, but a lot of those changes in customer preferences and the competition, I would say the other thing is the competition from financial technology firms, fintech firms, right? So used to, to send people money, you know, you'd write them a check or mail them a check. And and when when consumers started using Venmo or PayPal or these other services, right, they started competing in a lot of ways with banks in and, and, and a pure digital online system. And a lot of banks are losing competition to those. I would say that the majority of banks, though, have not reacted to that. Um, so we began responding to that even before I joined uh, the company as part of our program. And you're right; most people haven't been into their bank in the last 12 months, um, and so you're not physically coming into the bank branches. And uh, so we did we did start that program specifically to change the bank to becoming a digital bank leader. Um, there's a couple of big things we do, and I'll save some of it maybe for a little later in our conversation. Um, but I the one of the core things I would say is that change in customer preferences is can be viewed as two ways. One, like you know, Barnes and Noble and other companies who as as a book company, you know, really struggled and in a lot of those industries that became digitized, that time is happening now to banks. So over the next couple of years. The banks that don't transform their processes, I, I feel, will go out of business, right? I think we'll start to see some consolidation and integration in, in the industry.
1: Yeah, I do, too, especially because we think it's probably been a decade since people were able to get a loan on the Internet or, you know, have something in a different a bank in a different state. And the, the speed of technology, the rate of change is picking up, I think. And so, you know, a year from now, more will have changed than the last year. And uh, seeing how that's going is pretty interesting because your bank, not your bank, but Vast has (laughs) a lot of locations that are geographically um, put put in in a region or in a city or a town for a specific reason. That may not be the need a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, is that the way you see it as well?
0: Yeah, I, there's a lot of the banks that are, are really rethinking their brand strategy and thinking their market strategy. And, you know, the one of the foundational pieces to that is that digitization piece. But uh, kind of our message is to our customer base is that we want to make bank, banking surprisingly easy. And in order to be surprised in that process, a lot of the things that people do and, and get approached by um, are not you know, traditional services company. So an example I'll use is with Amazon, right? There's a lot of things that Amazon does with their recommendation engine and, and other things when you buy products that say, here are some other ones that you might wanna buy with it, that that actually becomes a real convenient copy, right? And so that that kind of service, that extra service, a lot of people feel like that that's what it means to know me, right, so an example I'll use is, um, if you went to your bank historically and and went to open up a loan, they probably started with asking you to fill out a loan application. If you've been a bank customer for 10 years, why do you need to fill out an application (laughs) to tell them who you are whenever you've been a customer for 10 years? Right? So just, there's some things like that that we're really rethinking, you know, uh, how do we make this whole process and this service as customer centric as possible?
1: And customer centric is, and people don't want to hear this in IT and i say this all across the IT board people don't want to hear this but our as customers even if i go out to eat or i go to a movie or i go to walmart whatever it is if i if if the priority isn't on the customer it shows and i may not be back and yeah. the same thing is happening with IT organizations supporting a business initiative yeah. do you agree with that
0: Absolutely, I do, and and they'll find alternatives, right? And so ours is really more about, I guess, from the IT perspective, is how do we enable our business groups to be able to compete with, you know, with globally with our customers? So how do we join them at the hip to where it's not their problem to solve, but it's our problem to help use technology to help them solve that problem, and um, that. You know, we will we have a pretty big road ahead of us, a big hill ahead of us, right, to get over our transformation program and to get onto our new platforms and conversion. It's a, there's a lot of work to do right now. Um, but I'm really excited for setting that foundation in place that will allow us to start competing on a global scale.
1: That's awesome, especially because IT is an enabler. IT is not the end of the road. It helps the road get longer and faster It's right. its enabler. All right, so one of the big initiatives, and I only know this because I know you and I've worked with you a little bit, is that, and this is huge, because I couldn't imagine doing this during COVID. And I say during COVID, like it's some special thing, but you are moving from a vendor ERP that's specific to the banking industry, right? Mm -hmm. To one that's in-house, a major name, I'll go ahead and, is it okay if I say with the brand?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: You're moving to SAP from a vendor proprietary type of engagement to a SAP. And SAP ERP implementations are rarely smooth and easy, right? Even on the best of circumstances. How is that going? Or what may help you make that decision or push you down that path? And how's that going?
0: Well, so i want to give you a little more context about the banking industry because it is a, it is different in the banking industry so most of the banking industries the erp of the of the um industry is called a core provider is kind of the term that they use right so um if i'm going to use you know my erp for banking you're talking about a core provider so there's just a link a terminology difference um so the core provider that that Uh, Vast is using uh, today that we're moving off of is called Jack Henry. There's five or so core providers in the U.S. Um, Well, almost all, well over 95% of banks in the United States use one of a handful of core providers, so there's only a few. So when we started looking at our digital transformation program and we said, what is it going to take for us to truly be competitive in, in the U S and banking and to provide a completely differentiated service, we identified some aspects and talked to all of the core providers and said, we're, we want to push the envelope and here's what we're looking to do. And, um, none of the core providers, uh, had the ability to address most of our topics. And so that's why we decided to do something different. So when we went outside of the United States, most of the banks outside of the United States do not use uh, one of the core providers that are used in the United States. And a lot of them have implemented the the systems on their own. And there are multiple industries, I mean multiple banks outside the United States that have implemented SAP as their core, in-house managed core. It just doesn't happen much in the united states so we are actually the first bank in the united states that has implemented sap's banking core um, that is in-house managed the first bank in the ever and so we work tight we're working tightly with our regulators to make sure that everything we're doing is regulatory compliant in the united states and we have partners that are helping us do that implementation um because you know the regulatory pieces are very important in banking as you would want them to be uh, you know, safety and soundness of our bank is the first priority um, and protecting people's, you know, um, monetary assets and their providing the right security is a core aspect for us. So it's, it has been a very interesting, we're definitely, um, as you know, our CEO likes to say, uh, we're definitely doing, going off-roading on a couple of these pieces because we're doing things people haven't done before in the United States. Um, so there are definitely challenges there. Uh, but we believe it's going to enable us to do things that, that other banks can't do um, at this point.
1: It's those that are watching the video saw me smile because I knew what was coming. The first <laughs> bank, think about this, a, a s- small, medium-sized bank in the Midwest of the U.S., first one to go outside the core. And one of the reasons people use the core is because the regulatory is already baked into the ERP. Yeah. And so you all are first one to go off-roading and still be compliant.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and we uh, we do have part of our bank running on the new core. And uh, we, you know, did our OCC exam this year and, and, and all of it passed really well. So we did everything, uh, we were very regulatory compliant. So we're really happy with the results. The collaboration with them has been, uh, with our regula- regulatory bodies has been great. Um, it, it has been challenging, right? I mean, they had a, a lot of questions, as you can imagine. Um, so it was, it was, it was very uh, involved and intense, but it was, it was a great relationship. And, and we've really enjoyed um, the, the process.
1: That's awesome because there are many SAP implementations that have opportunities for future improvement. Yeah. And so that for you all to do this and do this well, kudos to you. So let's talk COVID. The, the credit right. five letter word, right? Yeah. It's impacted your bank because it's impacted your customers how you do business. How has Vast handled this change of maybe the change of way you do business or how your your you know your employees do their jobs?
0: Well, so the I would the first thing I would say is um, we we got really lucky <laughs> and and as I mentioned kind of at the beginning. One of the things I looked at when I first came in is what are some of the challenges people were having? And uh, one of the biggest challenges we had was the ability to collaborate between branch locations. And so we uh, implemented Microsoft Teams and the Office 365 suite um, in order to try to get better collaboration between our uh, bank branches. And we had finished that migration of Teams and the implementation and the moving Um, to Office 365 and got through the full training, got everybody enabled. And as soon as we finished that, COVID hit, right? So luckily, everybody had all been just finished, set up to work from home with VPN and with, um, and, And with microsoft teams and with video sharing and so we had just finished rolling out all of our collaboration suite enhancements um, right before so luckily we weren't um, scrambling to try to get vpn set up and other things Um, we had just finished that process so um the a lot of the i guess entry-level things they didn't really seem like they shifted that much we had just been finished testing a lot of our work from home scenarios and and so when people actually Went full time work from home, right? It it didn't it didn't really impact us that greatly. Some of the things that did impact us um, were things like um, how do you manage people now when you're um, when they're working from home full time, and uh, how do you manage uh, the group of people who still have to be in the office? So we still have to have our retail branches open for certain types of activities. So how do you have managers at home and, and the staff in the office. So there was a lot of things that we went through on that process and we put together a task force uh, to, ma- to manage all of the changes in our organization as we were doing that. And I think that was really helpful um, for helping us navigate through all those changes.
1: So I went through that at my last corporate job, being in one state and having teams and different. It's a different mentality. It's a different way of looking at things. Yes. So work from home, popular, popular popular topic. Yeah. Is it here to stay for, you don't have to answer at the vast level, but do you think in general it's here to stay?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you'll see a higher um, percentage of people who are working from home more frequently, whether they work from home. um, You know, if it used to be, say, 90% in the office and 10% at home, maybe it's, you know, 40% 40% in the office and 60% from home or somewhere, You know, I don't think it's going to be a 100% from the office or 100% from home, right? I think those, I think the days of being purely one or the other is, is going to go away. And I also think that there's a lot of more flexibility kind of aspects that come into play there as well. But I also, I think one of the bigger changes is that has gone along with this is management style change Um, for managing people by outcomes and objectives uh, versus managing people by tasks and from oversight. And the challenge that I see is it's going to be interesting to see how people um, build and maintain culture in those aspects. So as an example, if I'm going to bring on some new entry-level employees or some interns, for example, for three months, um, how do you engage, you know, interns in a work-from-home scenario, or how do you, um, you know, assimilate into a company's culture where historically, you know, maybe it was a happy hour every day or something like that, right? That allowed people to connect. Um, you still have to, you still have the need to connect um, in those ways with people in order to keep them engaged. So I think it's important for managers to really think through how do I keep my employees engaged, especially when I need that discretionary effort. You know, if I need to call somebody at home, you know, at 10 o'clock at night and say, we have this emergency, I need you to jump and drop what you're doing, right? And and they feel disengaged because they're working from home on tasks, um, you're probably not going to get that extra discretionary effort, right? And so. Um, building that relationship with the person when you're remote, continuing to do um, other activities. I think one-on-ones are very important before they're critical now, right? So, um, you know, the people that, and the managers who don't haven't worked hard on building connections with people, I think are really struggling right now.
1: Yeah. Cause I've always felt whether it's my family or people I worked with, you know, teams, If there's a relationship, you can ask more and they can ask of you. But if there's not a good relationship where there's trust and all the things, you may, you call it discretionary effort. I think it's, you know, I use a little different terminology, but they're exactly the same. I think they'll do the letter of the law of what's asked, not the spirit of the law, you know? And uh, that's really interesting because to me, the world of IT is gonna go more and more that way. There's there's fewer break room conversations, there's fewer going out to lunch, you know, all those team building and relationship building. So I am keen to understand how people are gonna do it, you know, long term because you know, think about somebody that's 30 years old, the rest of their career, they may have 30 years of this. All right, what other Uh, trends, what other opportunities have you seen that are going to be possibly outputs of COVID? And I I tried to frame that in a certain way because I see them as opportunities. I see us work from home as an opportunity for a lot of people.
0: I I think the shift of work um, out of email and into collaboration systems is one that's actually starting to take off, I think, inside of VAST. And I think people are starting to see the benefits. They didn't see it as much when you're in the office, but they're seeing it now, especially remote. And so, an example that I'll use is um, we had uh, some of the folks who were working around the world. We have, uh, you know, contractors that are in India and Austria and uh, South Africa and different places, right? And when we when we're engaging with them. Um, and there's different time zone differences, you know, which is maybe more common inside of IT than in other parts of the organization. Uh, One of the things is there's a lot of that time delay was uh, email based. And, you know, there's just so many times where you send an email, you wait for the day to hear the response from the email that's sent at your nighttime. Right. And so a lot of that engagement and the need for more engagement, was instead of being point to point so me sending an email to jeff if you know i send an email to the leadership team right then it's the collaboration in those spaces and moving that out of that into a ticket management system for problem resolution or into a you know a jira system for project management um, then everybody gets visibility into all of those conversations The communication goes up, the level of collaboration goes up, the number of people who can expedite problems goes up, right? So it's then it's, the thing is, is it also helps you focus in on your conversation. So as simple as we want to work on a document together, well, why send the document to back and forth in email attachments and have to manage different versions of files when you can post a version out and comment back and forth on the same document in kind of a shared red line repository. And um, that's become really easy. It's almost become necessary to do. But now that people are starting to do it, they're seeing the power of doing that. And, And now they're doing that because it's better, it's faster, it's more efficient, it has better communication, right? So I think this enablement of collaboration tools is going to be a permanent change. And
1: I was gonna take it even a step further. You as an I in an IT group, you don't want those big files emailed back and forth, right. you know, taking down your network and your space. But it adds transparency and it adds the opportunity for escalation. Versus we all know that person, no mentioning names. When we send an email, we have lower expectations on when it'll be responded to than right. someone else. Now we're the level. The playing field is level. Is that kind of what you're trying to say?
0: Yeah. Well, and just the 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 availability for other people to collaborate and communicate on a particular topic increases dramatically, right? And so it becomes not me having a selection or conversation, a selective conversation with specific people. It becomes us having a department level communication, right, or collaboration. And so. Uh, just the volume, I think, and the frequency. And the the reality is things are moving faster because of that. And so, you know, uh, I think people also get a little bit of overwhelmed nature with email, right? Where your inbox, I get 400 unread items in my inbox. And at some point I just give up, right? I'm just, I can't, I can't deal with it. I'm just going to ignore the 400 on the bottom, right? Um, so, I mean, I think it's important that, um, if somebody else picks up that item, right, you go into somebody asks you a question, somebody else responds to that question, right, a lot of times you don't have, it's no longer your action, right, so it, I think the speed at which decisions get made, and the speed at which things move is significantly faster with those collaboration tools.
1: You said it much better than I did, and uh, especially when we think of it becomes less of a you and me problem, but more of an us problem, right? That's right. So in the world of banking, people don't think of this initially or intuitively, but data is a huge opportunity, problem to solve whatever you want to say, because it's a double-edged sword. You get all this information about your clients. How do we, you mentioned earlier, how do we offer new products for them or services to them? But it's a double-edged sword. You have all these regulatory requirements, too. How are you uh, handling data and both the opportunity side as well as the the regulatory side? It's a big problem for many organizations.
0: Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, before I comment on any other parts of it, I would say our, our the most important part for us is protection of customer privacy. Yes. Um, people's personal information is... is about themselves, especially in banking, um, you, you know, there is a lot of very private information that nobody would want their bank to provide out, right? And there are a lot of the uh, less regulated parts of the industry that that are, that, you know, if you look at social media and some of the things they're doing with privacy, uh, I personally, I find pretty offensive. Mm-hmm. And um, professionally, I find it you know, egregious, not just offensive, right? So, um, so for uh, I think for banking, uh, one of the things we try to do is we do want to make sure that that the users and our and our customers, both the internal users and our customers, uh, are always their data is protected. So, some of the things that we do are uh, are, are include masking, right? So there's a technology that lets you let people have access to see stuff but certain types of information is scrambled right so um i can query a table with social security numbers and the social security numbers have valid numbers but they're not the real ones right they're scrambled up and so and it's not just they're reordered they're actually just anyway there's there's a whole set of technologies that really can enable you to do that and i think that's really important i think another piece i would say is uh Collecting data for the sake of collecting data usually doesn't do any good, um, so it's important that um, the collection of that data historically uh, was very expensive to do, and and now with you know more and more storage costs are becoming very inexpensive, uh, we're collecting uh, you know data in larger volumes, um, but one of the things we're trying to be really intentional about is. How do we provide visibility to that data in a way that makes it useful Um, because a lot of the data especially telemetry style data can um, be really hard for anybody to interpret actively right so um, making that data available and useful are two different challenges Um, the other thing that i would add is the what i would call the freshness of data is a challenge in general that we've really tried to address so our System that we're implementing the SAP or, uh, system is uh, uses a HANA's in memory database uh, technology and we're doing you know real-time replication of that technology so you know there are a lot of banking systems that are batch files that run at night and you know make copies of data and now you have to keep all those copies of the data in sync with each other and do quality control checking I and mean, it's just a mess right um, and so the, the ability to have your data systems that are used for reporting purposes being real-time replicated copies, then when somebody goes and looks at the data, it's live, current, up-to-date all the time, uh, is, is, a, is a big, big differentiator.
1: I will tell you this. I know a company, and if I said the name, you'd know them too. And uh, they've been building this data lake, their words, not mine, For a long time without requirements of how that data is going to be used and i was thinking why buy a car if you don't know where you're going to drive it let's figure out where we need to go and then buy the right car for that trip and uh it's just interesting to me because you're right more data isn't always the right thing because you it takes you a while to parse out what you want out of that and uh it's interesting mm-hmm. because data is so rich in opportunities that it's got to be handled well. And those of you that aren't in the banking world, the banking regulatory <laughs> regulatory requirements, are even the down to personal identif- uh, easy for me to say identifiable mm-hmm. information PII data, as well as the banking stuff. So you know it, you have to keep separate the person their address, their social security number, all that stuff, plus yeah. the financial. And so there's a lot of regulatory and rightly so uh, requirements.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot of other things, too, that we have to that we it is important that we address in our industry and, and really provide that level of protection. And I think it's it's important that when you're thinking about, you um, you know, the process of making copies or duplicates of that data that the all of the processes and control models that you have in place around that data go with it, right? right? And so a lot of people that just take, you know, all their data and put it in a data lake, um, the controls that they have on the source system typically aren't there on the data lake. And so, you know, you just have to be especially careful in our industry.
1: Um, with the, especially if you're making copies, each copy has to have the same level of, uh,
0: controls. Well we also have some other things I think that that are really uh, good processes and policies that we put in place things like um, you know if you have contractors and other people third parties that are engaged you know we have policies and contractual obligations where they're not allowed to copy any of our data at any, any time into non vast systems right so there's there are a lot of processes we have in control where um, you know even simple stuff like, "Hey, I'm going to take this data offline on my laptop and do some analysis and developments." Like, no, you're not, right? We have policies that prevent that, and and we have controls that prevent that. And uh, so, those are. The, it's again, it's just important that we protect uh, people's data, even if it's uh, mock data.
1: And if it's my data, I want you to control it as much as best, the highest level as possible, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and that's what you're doing. You're saying, "I'm treating everybody's data like it was my own."
0: Yes. Absolutely. And, um,
1: all right. So let's get into emerging technologies. AI, RPA, RPA, CICB, mm-hmm. continuous deployment. Are you all utilizing any of these? I call them emerging technologies. They've been emerging for years, but are you all uh, incorporating any?
0: Uh, we are, especially uh, a lot of the RPA and the um, the AI components, more so than uh, and some of the others. I'll talk about them for a second, but um, you know, as part of our SAP implementation, uh, we're we're using a very heavy um, set of RPA agents that are that are also um, helping automate a lot of the activities inside of SAP. So we have you know, robotic jobs that are sitting and looking for processing to automate those tasks and activities that we do in the bank. Um, Our online account opening process, for example, on the retail side, and when one of our partners that we've launched with a financial technology firm, um, you can do the entire account, online account opening for a new bank account without ever, not only not coming into the bank, but you never have to talk to a person. So you can do 100% self-service, go through the whole process and that includes all the, all of the you know your customer checks and the you know the the customer information uh, background checks and the security checks all of that stuff is all fully automated end to end and so those are kind of some of the things that we're working on to one make the experience better for the customer because we've taken things that used to require people and we're automating those activities uh, right and we're then we're then able to, you know, have some of our internal people perform higher level functions. So uh, they get to work on making that automation better and the processing uh, and not just doing the process manually every day. Um, and so we're, we're pretty excited to see where that leads with our kind of our, our, our new launch and our core conversion next year when we go fully automated with a lot of processes. I think we're really, uh, there's a lot of exciting things coming over the next year.
1: That's awesome. self service here to stay in every organization. People, I use this analogy all the time. And when you and I were kids, we're a little bit different in age, but you know, of course he looks better than I do. But (laughs) uh, we, people, your parents would say, go go look it up in the phone book yourself, right? Our kids' generation, let's Google it online. You know, Google has become a verb. It's self-service. And people don't realize there's artificial intelligence and all this other stuff behind that. And now everybody wants that same level of self service in everything they do. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like, I don't want if I'm having an issue with an Amazon order, I don't want to call them. I barely want to use their chat. I, I want it to be able to search and, and figure it out. And I assume the same is true for banking and your, cust- your banking customers and all of those types of paradigm shifts, uh, paradigm shifts.
0: Yeah, so I'll give you a couple examples. So one is a a pretty simple one I think most people can relate to uh, is if we take, you know, your phone and you get a check and you want to deposit it, the remote deposit capture, take a picture of your check, right, those um, fairly standard processes, the checks have to be formatted and, and set up in a particular way. Well, one of the things we do is we can automatically crop it, shape it, turn it sideways, the lighting in the right way, right? We can do all those adjustments with software to where we can take that, not only take that picture, then we can use optical character recognition and some AI engines to extract the text out of it to, you know, to get the amounts and everything else automatically extracted and put into it. So, you know, those kinds of applications of artificial intelligence, people don't necessarily think of you know, hey, I've got robots running around everywhere, right? But it's those things that just where the technology just works in a in a very simple way, um, and it and it makes that process smoother and better for you. is is the way that we think about it. So some more maybe more simple examples that we've we've been talking about that is kind of a balance between our earlier conversation around privacy um, with uh, some customer service is if a person does come into a bank branch, for example, and you can have it recognize that person and automatically bring up their record, and uh, then when the person walks up to the teller, they already have all the information about the customer in front of them, right? So you know, some real simple applications, but processes that can make the experience better um, and make that whole process smooth. We're trying to figure out what is all of the things that would really make an effective use at home and then some of the back-end processes as as an example. You know, if I see that I've been out buying hammers and, you know, sheetrock and other stuff, right? Um, Why not reach out to you and say, hey, it looks like you're doing some home construction. Would you like a home improvement loan, right? Right. Um, So some things that, how do you do that in a way that respects people's privacy, doesn't come off creepy, but actually provides a higher value of service to them, right? Because that's really what it's about is, we really want to you know, have people feel like we're engaged with them as a bank and we're really trying to help them and make their life easier.
1: And you, it goes from loan to business or personal. It goes throughout the business. I even think of treasury, right? Because people want some short-term access to capital. Some of that can be done self-service Yep. I would think, pretty easily. So we talked about how the banking industry is moving. Five years from now, it's hard for us to see five months from now, but five years from now, how will those needs of the customer change and IT supporting it? How is it going to evolve?
0: Well, I don't know if you've been following the OCC's recent announcements, but there has been some announcements around crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've actually come out with some guidance documents about the you know supporting banks to providing crypto services. Uh, We do believe that uh, the trends are going to go more and more towards um, the average person using some type of cryptocurrency, more in in their day-to-day interactions. So if we're looking five years out, I think we're going to see the banks that have adopted and implemented crypto services for their communities are are going to be thriving. They're going to be ahead of the curve uh, for those particular transactions. I also see that um, the needs of most customers and most businesses, especially on the commercial side uh, business, the need to move to more real-time systems instead of systems that take, you know, in some cases three, four days to settle, you know, is just too long. Even some simple ones on the equity side, you know, if I go buy some stock, right, in order for me to buy some stock, it's going to take two or three days to settle. Right. That whole process, I think, is going to we're going to see some fairly substantial changes to where more and more systems are going to have to be real time for people to compete.
1: Even like checks clearing, you know, the those 48, 72 hours, I don't write checks, but I know people that get irritated because it's out of their account, but it's not in the next person's account for 72, you know, 48, 72 hours. And they're like, why the, you know, why the lag? and so it's interesting
0: but i do see i, I think our and we we believe that most people are going to be already are and are starting to demand and move towards uh banks that are going to provide that service that where all of those fund movement is happening in real time
1: i'm with it And real time is what we expect when mm-hmm. i was a kid i was the remote control for my parents you know get up and go turn the channel and now everything's a microwave remote control instant so right. if it two more questions as we wrap up it's great conversation i appreciate your time stephen yeah. if you had the resources what would you say what would you plead with leadership to invest in because you know it's gonna it's gonna bring a lot of value to the bank
0: so you know i i would say in a lot of cases with our digital transformation, we're already investing in those things. So I mean they they've uh, they've been uh, they've been very supportive. And and one of the things I think is really important is that a lot of these types of changes, it's very important that you have good leadership alignment from the CEO and president all the way down. I would say the majority of the changes are most effective where they're coming from demands from either you know the the president CEO or a direct report, right? So it needs to be somebody either on the board or in that senior executive team that is really championing it. And I don't mean that they've said, okay, my manager is really requesting it, so I'll sign off and say I have approval, right? I mean, they believe in it, they're passionate about it, and they're demanding it from their organization to change. I, I think that some of these changes are big enough. And, you know, if you're Going through organizational change management kind of activities, the first thing you want to do is to try to find a, a sponsor and an owner who's really passionate about this, this particular change. So um, I think one of the challenges is always that, um, you know, kind of Peter, one of Hit Drucker's kind of core models is there, there's very few bad ideas are presented right the real challenge to management is figuring out of the be- of the good ideas that are presented which ones do you say no to saying yes is easy saying no is hard right and so and the organizations can only thrive if you have the resources and alignment on the priorities that are the most important so rationalizing and reconciling which ones you're saying no to shut them down and to really focus on the ones that you're saying yes to it is important and so that's, go ahead i was just gonna say i think it's really important as a leadership team is that when you're looking for support is it you know is that you get that level of top-down support to help you in your particular initiatives but of the ones that i think that are important for the bank i think it's more and more of those uh, activities that can help provide full automation of banking services um, to customers, the customer centric activities to where it can be that pure self-service and the higher value add offerings to a, to your customer.
1: And you think about it 10 years from now, five years or five years ago, 10 years ago, we talked about customer satisfaction. That was buzzwords. Now it's excellence. It's their you know user experience. You know, we've, we've up that, that level so high yeah. that as, as trying to a bank, trying to provide those services, expectations are high, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and you know, I think it's. I'll use a specific example. Um, so, if somebody wants to open an account, right, and they go to your uh, page and they they get a form to fill out that they fill out, and then it goes. That form gets submitted to a person, and then on the back end, you have somebody. You know, receiving the form and then manually doing 500 processes or handing off multiple people. And then, you know, a day later you get a response back to the form you submitted. That to me is not what I'm talking about, right? That is not self service kind of activity. The real question is, is what is the outcome, right? So from the time the customer starts it to the time they get a response, um, having that whole process uh, where the submission and response that comes back is full, the full closed loop. Um, automation is is what I'm talking about. So those require those are very difficult things to do, right? So really understanding what ones you want to tackle, and uh, being able to kind of span across organizations, you know, pull together an agile team that can help you work through all the different parts of the system to help get that automation to happen um, is challenging. And I think a lot of folks are limited by the technologies of their core provider. You know, and so that's one of the reasons we made the changes that we're making. Because they,
1: not to not to bang on the core providers, but they've done it. As, they've done business a certain way for a long time. Yeah. And getting them to stretch and evolve, when for one customer, is a little more difficult. I mean, you know, because they're saying, "This is our core competency. Why should we change or evolve for just you?" And so I, I see why you all made that decision. So lastly, there's advances in technology coming fast and furious. The, I I use this a few podcasts ago, a few weeks ago, this, you remember back in the old days where Intel and Microsoft had this planned obsolescence and you were on these cycles. We all remember those fun, fun days, (laughs) but now it's disruption from other industries. It's, you know, the cycles are spun so quickly. And we don't know where these new technologies that we're gonna leverage. we don't know where they're gonna come from, so what advances in technology are gonna do you foresee changing how that's the business? I mean you know I'm thinking like ten thousand feet in the air how do we how are we gonna look at our customers and their problem statements differently five years from now.
0: yeah i think I think to your point, there are going to be a lot of the technologies that are going to continue to shift right um, and evolve very quickly, and I think it's important to understand that there's only so many technical areas that you should or can invest in. Uh, similar to the what I talked about before about really knowing what are the most painful parts for your customer and where the most value add uh, parts of that you can add for your customer, and focus on those areas and the most you know advanced places of technology application to those areas, and then and then use uh, technology and services that are provided by other companies in the areas that aren't truly competitively differentiators, right? So as, as an example, the one that I mentioned before, um, we didn't go build our own collaboration suite, right? And we th- it doesn't make sense to do that. Microsoft Office 365 is a very, yeah, I mean, we could have chosen Google Docs or any of the other services too, right? Um, but I think it's important in that particular area that those things are going to change, and you know, constantly um, reinvesting in some of those technologies in in a way should be not your core banking practice, right? So as a as a bank, it's not like how do I how do I go write something that's going to be cutting edge on the collaboration side? That's not your core business. So you really want to make sure that you're investing in areas that are going to help your core business how are you going to help you know the bank do banking how are you going to help your customers do banking and really invest in the technologies that will make a competitive differentiation there an example i'll use is you know look at the way that um, mobile has changed you know the, the the newest iphone is way better than the highest end computer that i could have bought that whenever we first started working together right and so the, the technology on the consumer side is going to be rapidly changing, and the more you can do to help can stay connected to those kind of investments and make sure that the consumer technologies um, work and you're integrated well for that experience, you're going to provide higher customer service to them.
1: And I, I use this story. I don't bank with fast. I probably should after this story. You're going to <laughs> appreciate it. The bank I use gives me a choice to either use their app or online or have paper statements. Their two-factor authentication stinks, as well as their app. So I get paper statements on the fifth or the sixth of every month. And it's frustrating because you talk about real time, you know, once a month is about the furthest from real time as it gets, but I'm stuck between this quandary because if I have an app that I can't use and no paper statements, that's even worse than the paper statements. And when I when I mentioned this bank, it's a several billion dollar bank. It's a big one. And right. I'm just like, can you help me here? And you know, it, they can't.
0: No, and a lot of times they're limited by, again, what their provider makes available to them. And then sometimes they have multiple different providers that are all technically limiting to them that they're having to navigate between them. So it becomes a very it becomes a really, really difficult challenge to do, right? Is to be able to manage those particular things. And, and uh, it becomes a limiting factor with what you can offer to your customers. And when the technology at the consumer level is changing so fast, it becomes a very, very difficult thing to be able to keep up with that level of technology change.
1: Oh yeah. I couldn't imagine going to them for anything other than a checking account because of this, you know, and, uh, so anyway, it's just one of those things. Stephen, we appreciate you being on the podcast. Hopefully you'll come back in the coming months as well. It's been very informative for me, and I knew a little bit about you and Vaz. Any uh, party thoughts? Uh,
0: I think that, you know, one, I wanna say thank you as well for, for having me on the podcast. It's been a great conversation. I always enjoy my conversations with you, Jeff. Um, I just, uh, encourage people to think about ways to keep them, their customers and their teams during this COVID, uh, pandemic timeframe, uh, keep them engaged, keep them safe and, and keep them uh, happy.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that because there's a lot of people that are unhappy, you know, that, that just the weight of all that's going down, going on right now is weighing them down and, uh, and it's tough, you know. There, are, everybody we meet is going through something, and how can we help them? And so I appreciate your parting, uh, parting words. So thank you, Stephen, and uh, we hope to have you on very, very soon.
0: Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate.
1: We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey and we're back with Closing Thoughts. I only have three quick thoughts I wanna leave with you and I first wanna start with thanking Stephen for being with us. Stephen is one of the sharpest guys I know. He's so bright in the technology sector. I've known him for a lot of years. And I say he's very bright and I, he's handled a lot of different situations very, very well. But let's move on. Let's think about what we learned in this conversation because Stephen is so bright. He makes it sound so easy, but it's not, is it? If your organization is struggling in these ways, reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with others who may be able to help if it's outside of our realm at service management leadership. With small and medium sized banks, the paradigm is shifting. As we talked about on with Stephen, fewer people are going into branches. Fewer people are going in and talking to someone. They want, as we shift to this online banking, banking through an app, they want their banks to adjust, to adjust to how now these companies are doing business. There's a trickle down if you can tell between how banks are doing business now or it's being forced by their customers and the needs of those customers and how their organizations are being impacted. We're in COVID time now. How long will we be in this this mode? Who knows? Will it be forever? I assume there'll be some things that we come out of this with that will be with us forever. It has changed the way we do business. But if you're at a small or medium-sized bank, even a large one, let us know if we can help you in your business continuity planning, especially as you try to navigate the FFIEC regulatory requirements, if you will. We've done that. We can do that for you. We can also help you save money because uh, it's so much that is relied on outside vendors, outside service providers, as well as software. We can help you there. And through maybe even introducing you to people who are squaring the niche that you're looking for. Happy to be a conduit. Not looking to, to make anything self, uh, selfishly, but just trying to help people do what they need to do in these small banks, medium-sized banks, large enterprises. We all need each other. And that is one of the things that long-term relationships in the business world, like I've known Steven and appreciate his work for a lot of years. These relationships are what we remember. We know who to call when blank. If you have a plumbing problem in your house, you know who to call most of the time. Same with electrician, things of that nature. I'm happy to help you If you need somebody to call for something that's even outside of our our expertise, I just want to be of help to you. And I thank you for watching and listening to this podcast. We have a great show next week planned. Hopefully you'll continue with us. These are exciting times for us and this podcast as we've had such a wealth of experience on this show. I hope you have a great, great day. Goodbye.